Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Thank you for listening. It's always a pleasure to have you with me. We're going to go into my next guest today. He is uh, Rick Itzkowich, and Rick, Rick is a San Diego Vistage chair, and he's also CEO of three Mexico-based steel manufacturing firms with, get this, 1,800 employees. He's an official member of the prestigious Forbes Coaches Council and a contributing offer for Forbes on trending industry topics. All the proceeds of his best-selling Amazon book, The Referral Playbook, Go to the Alzheimer's Foundation of America with more than $10,000 donated to date. And as a Vistage chair, Rick serves as the senior advisor and facilitator of his peer advisory group. And today he's going to talk about why an exit strategy is not necessarily just for selling your business. Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, thanks, Bill. Glad to be here. My pleasure. My pleasure. Um, I'm impressed by the intro uh, and... uh, it sounds like you must be a very busy man, so I appreciate you taking 20 minutes out of your day to help our listeners understand this topic. Uh, tell us a little bit sure. about uh, you and, and your background, more than, uh, more than I just shared, and, uh, and especially uh, why did you get involved with Vistage? Well, I was born and raised in Mexico City and uh, made a decision in my 20s to not work in uh, my family's manufacturing business. In fact, I said I would never do that. Then I came to the U.S. Uh, to go to school. Uh, my dream was to play uh, professional baseball, which did not become a reality. So uh, I co-founded a self-development company in the 90s, uh, combining sports and vacation uh, with personal growth courses. Uh, that was a great business until 2007, 2008, when uh, the Great Recession you know, uh, hit. And then at that point, um, I sold my interest in that company and uh, created a second company that offered products to help businesses grow. Uh, and that led to my current position as a Vista chair. After all of these experiences, uh, my dad developed uh, Alzheimer's and I uh, started going back and forth about seven, eight years ago to help him out. And uh, as fate would have it, I ended up... Uh, taking over the business that I swore I would never do. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry to hear about your dad. That's, that's, yeah, yeah I'll, it's unfortunate. That's just, but, that's uh, a lot of family businesses go down that route. It's, um, it's uh, a blessing for him that you were available to do that. Yeah, it's also a blessing for me. It actually brought me a lot closer to my dad which is what he always wanted, and uh, I swore I would never do it, and I learned that the only thing shorter than never is always. So here you go. 
<laughs> okay. And um, how how has the experience been um, with let's let's fill our uh, listeners who might not be familiar with what Vistage Worldwide is all about. First of all, uh, what do you and and your members um, do? Well, uh, Vistage is probably uh, the largest organization of its kind. It's a peer advisory board, which uh, think of it as a mastermind group or a peer board of directors, so to speak. And um, what we do is you, uh, the, the old expression that it's lonely at the top really applies to people running their own businesses. And I wish I would have been familiar with uh, Vistage when uh, I started my first two companies because it would have made my journey a lot easier. Uh, oftentimes, I definitely felt like I was alone. I had to reinvent the wheel. I had to have all the answers. And more importantly, there was no sounding board for uh, me to run some of my crazy ideas that I wish I would have run by somebody and would have told me they're, they're crazy or yet encouraged me to do some of the things that I ended up not doing that probably were some good ideas. So Vistage serves like an unbiased group of people who they're all uh, business owners, they're all CEOs, and they have no other agenda but to help each other, just uh, grow the companies and fulfill each other's dreams. So it's a great place for you to um, learn best practices, to uh, get support, to have uh, somebody hold you accountable. Um, So it's all of that all built into one. Yeah, you're you're right. It's it's always kind of lonely being a business owner because I I've been part of I'm a Vistage member myself, but I've been part of many Vistage uh, group meetings where I've seen people share things that they could never share at their office. Um, they probably would love to share it at home, but nobody wants to hear it. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's in this it's a protected environment for these members, right? It is, and it's nice to know that you're not the – I mean, every member who comes into Vistage thinks that, oh, my business is unique, my business is different, and that may be true for about you know, 15 20% of your business, but uh, the rest of business is the same for everybody. And when you hear and understand that other people are facing, half-faced, or will face some of the same challenges that you're facing – it gives you, A, uh, the feeling, oh, I'm glad I'm not alone. B, you can learn from somebody who's gone through it. There's, uh, I like quotes, and there's one of my favorite quotes is that the smart person makes a mistake, learns from it, and corrects it. But the wise person finds the smart person and learns from them so they don't have to uh, make the mistake to begin with. And I, I believe that what we do in Vistage is we take a whole bunch of smart people and turn them into wise people. Yeah, you know what's interesting, one more comment on Vistage, and, and we'll get off of that, but what's interesting is I hear people saying, well, why wouldn't, don't you do that with like a board of directors, and I hear a lot of Vistage members say, oh, no, 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 I go to Vistage before I go to my board of directors, so like you said, I can try things out and and get to positive, sometimes hurtful feedback from other owners, yeah. and then and then take it or not take it to my board of directors. And you've got to remember, our board of directors has a fiduciary duty uh, to uh, the shareholders, and they're not necessarily have the best interest of the CEO or the owner, you know, at heart necessarily. They have the best interest of the organization. And uh, when you bring it to your board, to your personal board, uh, you're exactly right. You can try things out. You can run. And sometimes, you know, I've had it where people – who are odds with the board, somebody straightens them out so that when they go to the board meeting, I mean, it just goes a lot better. 
So it's a great enhancement. So a very valuable um, organization, and one of the key things that they do is help their members stay informed about uh, all the things that are happening as well. Um, so anyways, uh, let's move on to our, our topic now. I notice, uh, first of all, on your website, you're also um, – uh, a connector. You're you're known as uh, Rick I, the LinkedIn guy. You want to say a few words about that? <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, I've you know my uh, area of uh, expertise has always been sales, business development, and uh, around 2007, 2008, when the Great Recession hit and I was struggling with my small business, uh, my area, um, I had a partner in my area was all about business development, and I was willing to try anything. I had always been networking in um, groups uh, like um, B&I, Provisors, et cetera, but um, it was not sufficient, so I decided to – I had been a member of LinkedIn and never used it. So decided to give it a try, and somehow I found the power behind uh, uh, LinkedIn. I was one of the early adopters, and then uh, I just got into it and learned how to use it and got a lot of results and started telling people about it. So one thing led to another, and before long, I was uh, leading uh, trainings and seminars all over the world, teaching sales teams how to use LinkedIn to generate business. But at the end of the day, it's still basic premise. It's all about relationships and it's all about being of service and making deposits before you collect. And those principles have really served me well uh, throughout my entire career. And I still practice them. Well, it may be intuitive to you, but for a lot of people, it's it's valuable information that they don't have time to think about. So they rely on people who are figuring things out and doing it to, to, uh, to help them boost their use of those tools. And again, uh, proudly, you've been able to um, donate quite a bit to the Alzheimer's Foundation of America. So, you know, the platform and your life uh, certainly intersected there. That's, and that's, that's a nice thing. Yeah. That was another thing that I swore I would never do, and that is to write a book. So I ended up, you know, doing two nevers in the last two years. And uh, I was uh, writing the book, finishing the book right around the time uh, my dad uh, was really deteriorating. And uh, when uh, he passed, I made the decision that, you know what, uh, this was one way to honor his memory was to uh, help others. He always believed in, uh, in education, helping people. So I figured what a great way to do that. And I've been fortunate that, yeah, the book has sold well, and I've been able to make a, a significant donation to uh, the organization, which is great. It's a great, happy story. Okay, let's get into the topic. We've got about 10 minutes left. Let's talk about how soon should a business owner plan their exit strategy? Uh, I would say as soon as they – it's the old saw that says, uh, when's the best time to plant a tree? And that is 20 years ago. And when's the second best time is now. So I would say right now even if you're just starting the business. And let me give you, you know, a quick example of that. Uh, I, you know, when I decided that I would not sell uh, the family business, that I would keep them and run them for a while, uh, the first thing that I did was, you know, think about this. What is my exit strategy? What do I want to do here? And uh, it became clear that, you know, I wanted to make a big impact. So I decided that we would turn this family business and ground that my dad had gone, and I was going to grow it to the point that my exit strategy was going to be uh, going public. 
So the difference between running a business that's a family-owned business, though a sizable business, to some, a business that you're planning on taking out on an uh, IPO route is significant. And, uh, but that decision with the exit strategy uh, has set me on a journey that for the last two years we've been implementing all the protocols, making all the changes that we need to do. And it became clear that to be able to go public and get the maximum evaluation we wanted, we had to double in size. And that meant that we couldn't just grow organically the way we've been doing it. We had to go into, uh, and acquire some businesses which led me to the first decision, which was I acquired uh, my first business last year, and we're on a path to acquire a second business this year. And that would have never happened had I not made the decision of what the exit strategy was going to be. That's great. So starting early has the benefit of, of setting a path. Um, and uh, what are some of the other benefits of planning that exit strategy so early? I mean, you're, you're – uh, Goal setting is kind of hard for a lot of business owners. Well, yes. I mean, uh, it, it takes, especially if you're going to make the business attractive to an outside entity. Uh, there are certain things that uh, investors and or somebody's going to buy a business and look for, and they value it very different than you do as a business owner. So uh, the first thing that you will want to do is uh, if, let's say, you're going to sell it, to someone other than leave it to your heirs, for example, is that uh, you need to make the business uh, the least dependent possible on you so that when you're gone, the business won't suffer. So that's another example of uh, knowing what the strategy is going to be. Now, uh, it's different. Uh, the size of the business that it's going to be also will depend on what your exit strategy is going to be. I mean, if you want to just have a lifestyle business, there is nothing wrong and if all you're going to do is just let the business fade away, that's fine too, but it will drive the decisions that you're making. So knowing what it is that you're going to do will certainly make the decision-making process along the way, especially the strategic decisions that you need to make when running a business, a lot clearer and a lot easier to make. Great point. You know, there's been a lot written over the last few years about service businesses and a lot of business owners have service oriented businesses these days and those mm -hmm. can be a lot more difficult to transition than a product based business because if if you provide the services and it's all dependent on you then you you're going to have a problem transitioning that what advice would you give for people out there that are in businesses that you know they they might not be the easiest to transition now but if they can do some work over the next few years, maybe they can make it easier and more saleable. Well, uh, two things come to mind. Number one is if you don't have an online component to your business, you must create one. I mean, any business uh, needs to do that nowadays, especially. But the second one is uh, what's uh, your strategy for generating recurring revenue? Because if you don't have some kind of a subscription model, you need to come up with something because what that will do is that will increase the valuation of your business so that instead of people will pay a percentage of your EBITDA, uh, or what they'll do is they'll pay a multiple. Point, a lot of pe the business owners uh, or buyers, excuse me, are looking for uh, recurring reliable revenues, right, these days. They're, they're looking for that. <laughs> What's some, what can they yeah. rely on? They'll pay, they'll pay a lot more for that than the zigzag that they normally see on financial statements from month to month. Yeah, that's exactly right. No matter how 
strong your EBITDA is, if you have to, you know, eat what you kill every month uh, or every year you have to start from scratch, I mean, that's not nearly as attractive as you know that you already have, you know, sustainable, you know, revenue coming in and you'll never go to zero regardless of what's going on as long as the subscriptions don't end. So uh, much more valuable. Now, in some in some industries, it's fairly easy to come up with a subscription-based model. One example would be, you know, a couple of years ago I bought an HP printer. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would go back to the place where I bought it to buy the ink every few months. And then last year I bought an HP printer, and they said, no, no, we now sell you a subscription, and the printer will tell us when to send you the next ink, and you'll always have You'll you'll never have an empty printer because we'll always put ink in the mailbox when it's time to do so. But it'll cost you nine ninety nine a month instead of going back and paying twenty three dollars for a cartridge. So that's one example. But in some businesses, it's a little bit more difficult. What do you? How do you help business owners to brainstorm as to what might be a subscription based model for their business? Well, a lot of them, a, a lot of the process just becomes, you know, just the notion that you want to create something like that and then get creative because uh, you never know where the idea is. I, you know, advise us and get together with your team, with your uh, executive team if you have them, and they oftentimes have some great ideas. But what are some problems that uh, your uh, people have? I'll, you know, again, I'll throw uh, in my uh, manufacturing firm, we make steel pipes and tubes for all kinds of industries. Well, one of the things is, well, how can we create this concept of a recurring revenue thing? And um, the way we're doing it is uh, we're making a migration and we're experimenting uh, with the idea that people are going to be able to, because uh, inventory management for them is a big thing. So we are uh, experimenting with a subscription where we're going to be able to provide them with the technology and the tools to manage their own inventory. And they'll pay a subscription for that, which is going to save them a lot of money in actual inventory. But in order to take advantage of those features, they'll have to pay a subscription model. So that's an example of taking a product and turning it into a service. Excellent. So there's a lot of examples out there. Um, it just takes some, really some some deep thought about maybe a, a service model or a, a platinum level of, of service or whatever it happens to be. But really good, really good tips there. And the online having an online presence. Does anybody not have an online presence these days? Is, is everybody? Uh, is everybody not on board with that? Well, they are, but you know what I meant is not just having a presence, but finding a way to see if you can deliver some of your services, you know, uh, virtual as opposed to just all, you know, uh, uh, all in a brick and mortar. And it could be a variation, like you know, restaurants who didn't have takeout all of a sudden do have takeout. I mean, that's a variation because you know you can actually make it a virtual business by having a virtual kitchen deliver products. I mean, the products are real, but the consumption and everything else becomes virtual as opposed to in your facility. Good point. I saw a local restaurant where I am that changed from offering a spaghetti and meatballs meal to a, a fam- family meals only. You had to pay 30 bucks for spaghetti and meatballs, but you got a lot of it. A lot, so a lot of people are, are figuring out ways to be innovative, uh, increase yeah, the size to. of their orders, right? Yes, 
I mean, if anything, this COVID crisis has taught us is if you're not thinking and you're not adapting, if you're not pivoting and all of those buzzwords, I mean, uh, you could become uh, obsolete, extinct, or be in big trouble very, very quickly. It really is a time for innovation and, and deep thought and introspection and thinking about how can we do things differently as we look at this continuing and being a new normal. And that's where groups like uh, Vistage Worldwide come in and uh, gentlemen like Rick Itzkowich. And uh, Rick, uh, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? I know that you'll provide a, a free 30-minute consultation on what we've been talking about yes. or on the benefits of being part of a peer advisory group? Uh, on that, on anything business-related, I'd be happy to spend you know, 30 minutes with someone. And um, so they can email me uh, at uh, rick at rickitscoach.com. That's my first name at my first and last name dot com. They can also book something through my website if they go same same URL, rickitscoach.com. Okay, let me spell that out for listeners who might have a pen and paper in hand. It's R-I-C-K, Rick, I-T-Z-K-O-W-I-C-H. And I said there, I-T-Z-K-O-W-I-C-H.com, rickitzkowich.com. Great website, uh, great information, and I really appreciate the time we spent today, Rick. I hope you'll come back um, again. So uh, now that we're familiar with you, we'd love to talk more about the dangers of not having Nexus strategy and other topics. Uh, today we need to move on, but thank you again so much for joining me. Thank you, Bill. I'm happy to do that anytime. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 